the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John the Baptist preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not, wor I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I said, this evening we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, which is a continuation of His epiphany, His unveiling, where we magnify the Trinity made manifest in Christ's baptism. As Christ goes down into the waters of baptism, the Spirit descends, and the Father speaks, declaring His love for His Son, this is the moment in which Christ's public ministry begins. As St. Peter says in our New Testament lesson, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. If you've been here on this feast day before, you've heard me say, Christ's baptism should cause us to ask a question. Why should Jesus get baptized? As we say in the Creed every week, I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And if you don't know, the Christian church, church teaches that Jesus was sinless throughout his entire life, not even a hint of sin. So why does he undergo baptism? It's been pointed out that this is Jesus' first recorded act as an adult. And one commentator said this, the first thing Jesus does for the human race is go down with it into the deep waters of repentance and baptism. Which is to say that in baptism, Jesus is declaring his solidarity with sinful humanity, almost like it's a, an extension of his incarnation. Jesus is identifying with us, not because he has need of repentance, because he was without sin yet he is placing himself in our path. Here's where things get really interesting. In the gospel accounts, when we encounter John the Baptist, there's always some sort of language about how he baptizes with water, but the one who is coming after him, the Christ, will baptize with the Spirit. 
One who is more powerful than I is coming, he says. And what happens next is truly remarkable. John baptizes Jesus with water, but then the heavens are split open and the Spirit descends like a dove and the voice of the Father declares, you are my beloved Son and with you I am well pleased. In going down into the water, it's as if Jesus has electrified the waters of baptism with the descending Spirit. For Jesus to identify himself with sinful human beings in baptism is incredible. But even more miraculous is that now sinful human beings are identified with the triune God in the baptismal waters. The descent of the Spirit, the declaration of being a beloved child of the Father, these things are now given to all who are baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I find so beautiful about the lectionary texts singing in harmony this week is that they highlight a brightness in the gospel message that I think often gets occluded in the way that many of us have heard it and tell it. There's a certain strain within Christianity that tends to begin the gospel message by emphasizing our legal guiltiness before God, that we are, if you'll allow me, as guilty as sin. This indebtedness is such that we require God's forgiveness and His righteousness in order to stand before Him. I believe Scripture teaches this, and it is by no means unimportant. But it is truncated. It is only a sliver of the story, and it is far from the only way that Scripture talks about what God is doing in working out our salvation. The good news of Christmas that we have just experienced is that though we have cut ourselves off from the life of God and are therefore tending back toward non-existence, the eternal Word holds all things together in His power, and He has in His goodness willed that we exist. There's this beautiful passage in St. Athanasius' book on the Incarnation where he tells this story. He says, for God has not only created us from nothing, but also granted us by the grace of the Word to live a life according to God. But human beings turning away from things eternal and by the counsel of the devil turned, turning us toward things of corruption were themselves the cause of corruption in death. For these reasons then, with death holding greater sway and corruption remaining fast against human beings, the race of humans was perishing. And the human being made rational and in the image was disappearing. And the work made by God was being obliterated. Therefore, he says, since the rational creatures were being corrupted and such works were perishing, what should God being good do? Permit the corruption prevailing against them and death to seize them? Do you see what he's saying? God created us out of nothing. He brought us into existence out of non-existence and said that we were very good, the crown jewel in his creation. But we turned away from things eternal, as Athanasius tells us, in Adam and Eve. And the devil convinced us to turn ourselves toward things of corruption. Evil isn't a thing. It doesn't exist. It is non-existence. And we chose a thing that doesn't exist 
which has led us to corruption, with death holding the greater sway. These very good works of God, human beings were disappearing, being obliterated, perishing, and Athanasius asks with such force, so what should a good God do? The answer, of course, is to rescue us as we languish in weakness because we cannot do for ourselves. God being good must come and rescue us. As Isaiah says, as we heard in our reading, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. We have been held captive to corruption by the devil, unable to free ourselves. Now can you hear the good news when John the Baptist says, there is one who is stronger than me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, meaning immerse you in the divine life, the very life of God. Can you hear the good news when Peter in our reading to the Acts of the, in the Acts of these Apostles says to Cornelius, a Gentile, that Jesus went about preaching peace and that God anointed this Jesus with the Spirit and power as he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How does this happen? How is the curse of death and the imprisonment of all mankind undone? As the church sings at Easter, Christ has trampled down death by death. And this is where we bridge Christmas and Easter. As Athanasius was so apt to point out, the Word was incorruptible and so needed to take on flesh in order that he might experience death and thereby undo death's grip on his creation. Athanasius tells us that Christ banished death from humanity as straw from fire. He goes on, through the incarnation of the God, the Word, there occurred the dissolution of death and the resurrection of life. For by a human being came death, by a human being has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. In going down into the baptismal waters, Christ's holy presence sanctifies the waters of baptism for our sake, that we too might be sanctified and brought to life in him. I want to suggest to you that this ransom that the baptized have been given, this victory over death through Christ, should cause us to respond in at least two ways. The first is that we must follow Christ from the font to the desert. After his baptism, Christ is led by the Spirit into the desert where he will be tempted by the devil, and he will there recapitulate the sojourn of Israel. But unlike Israel, Christ responds to the devil's temptations with faith in his Father and utter reliance upon this Holy Spirit. As we approach the season of Lent in a few short weeks, we too are called into spiritual battle. The Spirit has been given to us that we might mortify the flesh. With everything that's been happening in our world over the last about a year and then the year that was this last week, I want you to hear what St. Peter writes in one of his letters. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. We have been given everything we need in Jesus Christ as we are clothed in him in baptism. We are adopted as full heirs. But, as St. Gregory of Nyssa reminds us, it is that after the dignity of adoption that the devil plots more vehemently against us, pining away with envious glance when he upholds Sorry, when he beholds the beauty of the newborn man earnestly tending towards that heavenly city from which he fell, and he raises up against us fiery temptations, seeking earnestly to despoil us of that second adornment as he did of our former array. That's, that's flowery language for when you are made alive again through baptism in Jesus Christ, the devil hates you because he sees the glory and beauty of Christ that drove him to insanity now wrapped around you. So he's going to come at you with everything he has. Be ready. Make every effort to support your faith with goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Baptism and spiritual warfare are linked they are linked in Christ's own life, and they are linked in those who live in him. So it is that even now we cast our gaze toward Lent, not simply as a time for us to put to death the sin that so easily entangles us. That should be our practice at all times. But a time for us to give up even those good things of creation, the wine and oil of gladness, so that we may, as St. John of the Cross so aptly says, raise our appetites above childish things, and discover in this simple spiritual food the savor of all things. Do not be ignorant of the plots of the devil as he pines away with envious glance at the beauty of your newborn self wrapped in the glory of Christ. We must follow Christ from the font to the desert. And may we be those who, to whom King Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The second response that we should make to the ransom we have been given through Christ is joyful proclamation. Our whole life 
should be a living icon of this joy, not as a denial of the pain and sorrow of the world, but as an expression of the reality that our whole life is no longer the life of dust and death in our father Adam, but is the life of immortality given to us in Christ, the very Son of God. Hippolytus of Rome said, the father of immortality sent his immortal son and word into the world. He came to us to cleanse us with water and the spirit, to give us a new birth that would make our bodies and souls immortal. He breathed into us the spirit of life and armed us with incorruptibility. Therefore, in a herald's voice, I cry, peoples of every nation, come and receive the immortality given in baptism. To you who have spent all your days in the darkness of ignorance, I bring the good news of life. Leave your slavery for freedom, the tyrant's yoke for a kingdom, corruptibility for eternal life. Do you wish to know how to do this? By baptism and the Holy Spirit. This is to say, by the water through which we are born again and given life, and by the Spirit who is the Comforter sent for your sake to make you a child of God. Hippolytus bridges these two responses for us. Joyful declaration and following Christ out into the desert, into temptation. If you think this last week was insane, the man who just said all of those beautiful words about how he was going to give his life to declare this message of freedom to captives and incorruptibility to those who are dying. This same man, when he was called upon to deny Christ, refused. And legend has it, he watched as his entire household was beheaded before him and then was himself dragged by horses unto his death. Hippolytus understood that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, and his judgment is the only one that matters. His judgment is the only one that matters, not the judgment of our boss or our bank account, our partners or our parents, our government or our greatest accomplishments or failures. None of those things judge us. Only Christ. And to be baptized in him, oh, with what rapturous joy we can sing, the Lord has clothed me head to foot in his redemption, thrown around me the cloak of his love, and made me holy. Amen.